Today is the 27th of January, and it's today, back in 1945, that the Nazi concentration death camp of Auschwitz-Birkenau was liberated by the Russian army. And then other camps like Bergen-Belsen were liberated a little bit later, in this case by British forces. And there, the horror of thousands of unburied, emaciated bodies was captured on grainy black and white film, grim evidence of man's inhumanity to man. The Holocaust, or Shoah, as it's also called, Shoah meaning catastrophe in Hebrew, began with the systematic stripping of the rights of Jews in Germany in the early 1930s, under, let us not forget, a democratically elected government. Uh, there was a mass propaganda campaign. Um, even villains in traditional children's books were replaced by Jewish figures with grotesque hooked noses and so on. Always, girls and boys, it must ring alarm bells for us. If ever you run into someone who thinks that their race is better than another's or their ethnicity is better than someone else's or that their religion is superior or that their country is, is greater than someone else's. I can tell you all that Hampton Court House opened in 2001 with the express wish that its pupils would embrace all cultures, all religions, and that our pupils will hold out the hand of friendship to those who are different. And that includes, of course, showing an interest in their culture uh, and, of course, also in learning languages. Although today, International Holocaust Memorial Day, Remembrance Day, recalls specifically the Shoah, the calculated mass extermination of six million Jews, along with the murder of gay people, um, the killing of all mentally and physically disabled people, and so on, let us not forget that many genocides took place before the Second World War, and they have since. Cambodia, the 1970s, Rwanda, 94, uh, the so-called ethnic cleansing during the Bosnian War in the 1990s and in Europe, uh, and, and so on. One hard fact, and it's difficult to absorb and to accept, is that so many of these murders were carried out by people who, before conflict started, led ordinary lives. They were builders and lawyers, they were teachers and road sweepers, they were fathers and sons. But they became indoctrinated by what they heard, radicalised, believing the rhetoric, believing the, the hatred stirred up by political leaders and spurred on by their leader and by each other, carried out the most heinous acts. It's one of the messages um, in William Golding's novel, Lord of the Flies, which I, I know many of you have read. You will remember the boy, Simon. He's something of an outsider in the story, but you'll recall his line, the beast, maybe it's only us. Maybe it's only us. Simon understands that we all have the capacity for wickedness, and that is a dark and uncomfortable thought. 
And it's why I ask you to question yourself in all your actions and your words. Are you sowing division and hatred? Are you in your play excluding others, discriminating against others? Today, it's possible to visit uh, the death camps of Belson, Treblinka, uh, and so on. Uh, and I urge you at some point in your lives to do so. Uh, some time ago, uh, one snowy, ice-cold day, I visited um, Auschwitz-Birkenau, which, which is really two camps. The first is Auschwitz, that's the one with the macabre um, uh, slogan, Arbeit macht frei, work makes you free, over the entrance. It's a grim place with its blocks and its punishment cells and, and of course, the gas chambers. There's a kind of eerie, massive weight of darkness that just hangs over the place. Um, I had my phone with me. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to take any photographs. It, it, it seemed just wrong. These are not tourist destinations as such. They are memorials to acts of overwhelming evil. The second camp of Birkenau, it's a kilometre or two down the road, is, is gigantic. It's the size of a small town. And nothing really prepares you for the scale of that uh, camp. It's the one where the rail line, the railway ends right inside the camp. And then, of course, there's the selection process and the march uh, straight to the crematorium. Um, incidentally, although Jewish people tend to use the word Shoah, the word Holocaust is, is of course, also used. And it's worth thinking about its, its true meaning. Hollow is, is Greek. It means whole or total. Caustic is, is also Greek, and it means burning, as in caustic soda or, or a caustic remark. So you have holocaust, whole burning. It's, it's an apt word. Now, some years ago, a survivor of Belson, uh, René Salt, um, came to Hampton Court House to talk to, to, talk to you, uh, and you older students uh, will remember that. It, it was history in action, living live testament. But with the passing of years, there are inevitably fewer and fewer survivors. Um, and uh, it's important that we, we hear what they have to say. I am uploading with this assembly an event that took place uh, in London at the Bigmore Hall in 2018. I, it was there I heard Anita Lasker-Valfish. Um, she survived Auschwitz uh, because, well, she played the cello. She's a very fine musician. And in the midst of all this madness, the Nazi commandants wanted to listen to the music of, uh, of Bach and, uh, and Schumann after their day's killing. And so there was a camp orchestra. And there was Anita, this supreme intellectual and, and music lover. She had to play for these people to stay alive. Um, as long as they wanted music, they couldn't put us in the gas chamber, she says. Finally, there are people, uh, and you may run into them sometimes, who, who deny the Holocaust, who say it did not happen. And again, it's, it's part of the agenda of fake news. There are dark forces out there, and it is your job, boys and girls, to, to know what is real and what is not. Now, Germany has, for my money, been exemplary in confronting its past, and many, many countries could learn from, from Germany. Uh, and certainly there it's, it's against the law to deny the Holocaust or, or to say it did not happen. For you young people, I, I urge you 
to inform yourselves. There are documentaries and there is personal testimony given by survivors. It happened. And uh, if William Golding is to be believed, the beast is potentially in all of us, or at least in many of us. And as history has shown and continues to show, these awful things can happen again. Boys and girls, it must never happen again. It must never happen again. But to achieve this, we all of us have to be prepared to confront prejudice, to confront racism, to confront sectarianism. Today is a day of remembrance. and We remember all those who perished. But it's also important to remember that it can happen again. And that is why today is such an important day for all of us. Please listen to um, Anita Lasker-Valpish's talk, which you can find uh, with this uh, YouTube assembly. It's 25 minutes of your time, and I commend it to you. Thank you. I thank, <clears throat> I thank Mr. Gilhooly for arranging this hour of reflection about a new and extremely worrying emergence of something we naively thought belongs to the past. I seem fated to find myself in unusual places. The latest was an invitation to address the German Bundestag on Holocaust Memorial Day in January, when it is customary that the Holocaust survivor tells their story. It was somewhat fortuitous, if this is the right word, because there was more at stake here than my story. Since a right-wing and dangerous party is now part of the German government, here's a translated version of what I said. Thank you for inviting me to say a few words here at the Bundestag. I'm one of the rapidly dwindling number of eyewitnesses to this catastrophe which befell us all those years ago. No other genocide is as comprehensively documented as the Holocaust. There are hours of uh, interviews with survivors, countless reports, and yet there are still people who claim that these accounts are fabricated and that the Holocaust never happened. They even sent somebody to Birkenau to scratch at the walls of the ruins of the gas chambers in order to prove that none of this is true. The reality is different. In January 73 years ago, Auschwitz was liberated and the crimes against innocent people, way beyond imagination, gradually came to light. The scale of the catastrophe simply defies comprehension. Six million is a number too big to grasp. It is easier to identify with an individual fate. So if I may, I would like to describe in a few key words my sisters and my career as survivors of Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. We were born in Germany. Our father was a lawyer at the High Court and our mother was a wonderful violinist. We were three daughters and we all learned to play an instrument. I played the cello. There were some family rules which as a child I did not really understand at all. 
and to be honest, found rather stupid. On Sundays, for example, we would have to speak French. <laughs> On Saturday afternoons, we would read the classics, and my father would recount his experiences of fighting in the front in the First World War, when he was awarded the Iron Cross. Or we would play chess. We owed this to our family name. My uncle Edward Lasker was Grandmaster of America. And then it all came to an abrupt end. Radical exclusion, notices everywhere that Jews are not welcome. We were no longer allowed to use the swimming bath or sit on park benches. And we had to hand in our bicycles. Jewish men were required to add the name Israel and women Zara to their names. We were forced out of our home and back to the Middle Ages. We had to wear the yellow star on our clothes. I was spat at in the street and called a dirty Jew. Our father, incurable optimist, could not believe what was happening. Surely the Germans cannot go along with this madness. In the museum in Auschwitz, there are vast glass cabinets full of human hair, toothbrushes, spectacles, and even prosthetic limbs. Where do they come from? From Jewish soldiers who had fought in the front, and that was the thanks they got from the fatherland. And then in 1938, there was Kristallnacht, and one knew that one cannot stay here. But it was too late. We were trapped. The mass shootings of Jews began soon afterwards, in 1939, and with the occupation of Poland, and in 1942, the infamous Wannsee Conference took place. Supposedly cultured men sat around the table and discussed in earnest how best to rid the world of millions of people, millions of Jews. The only problem apparently concerned those who were only half Jewish. Should they be murdered as well? By now, there were regular deportations of Jews from all the territories under German occupation. People were being sent to Auschwitz from as far away as Greece. Our parents were deported on the 9th of April, 1942. Of course we wanted to go with them. But our father wisely said no. Where we are going, one gets there soon enough. Needless to say, we never saw them again. I was 16 years old. So now we were alone and were sent to an orphanage, absolutely determined not to let it break our spirit. Not to wait for somebody to take us away to be murdered simply because we are Jewish. We were conscripted to work in a paper factory. There were French prisoners of war working there as well. We soon made contact, and that's how our career as forgers began, making counterfeit papers for French prisoners of war to escape with. When we realized that we were being observed, we decided to try to escape as well. Our aim was to reach the unoccupied zone of France, 
an absolutely absurd idea when I look back now. But what did we have to lose? Nothing. Of course, this last desperate attempt was bound to fail. We made it as far as the Breslau railway station, but were arrested by the Gestapo as we attempted to board the train. I'll be brief now. We spent an entire year in prison. It was extremely lucky not to be sent straight away to Auschwitz. We were to be tried at a Sondergericht, a special court. I think we have one of my father's former colleagues to thank for that, a certain Dr. Lukaszek, if I remember correctly, because by then the Bürgerliche Gesetzbuch, the civil code, no longer applied. And under the new rules, it was better to be classed as a criminal than as a Jew. Criminals were given a trial. Jews were free game. We were charged with attempted escape, helping the enemy, and forgery. The public defense lawyer didn't show up, and as strange as it might sound today, we didn't want anybody to defend us anyway. The longer the sentence, the better. We already knew that prison would be preferable to a concentration camp. It wasn't exactly pleasant, it's true, we were locked in our cells for 24 hours. The only break from the monotony was a half-hour shuffle around the prison yard into total silence, hands behind our backs. But in prison, people were not murdered, at least not as a rule. The sentence was three and a half years hard labor for my sister and 18 months prison for myself. We did not serve out our sentences. After a while, we were sent to Auschwitz, separately. It is hard to believe, but I was also required to sign a document saying that I was going to Auschwitz voluntarily. By then, people were aware of what was going on there, but one simply did not want to believe it. Alas! It was true. So when I arrived in Auschwitz, I tried to prepare for the worst if such a thing is at all possible. But events took a different turn. I was not sent to Auschwitz on one of the mass transports of Jews who were sentenced to live or die on arrival at the ramp. I arrived in Auschwitz as a convicted criminal and as I said before, it was better to be a criminal than a Jew. We were so-called Karteihäftlinge. We had criminal records. My head was shaved and the number 69388 was tattooed on my left arm. Anita, Sarah, Lasker no longer existed. It is hard to believe but there was a band in Auschwitz, and it was imperative to find someone who could play the cello. So I became a member of the camp orchestra in Birkenau. The director was Alma Rosé, niece of Gustav Mahler, and daughter of Arnold Rosé, leader of the Vienna Philharmonic, and for many, many years until he was dismissed. Why? 
because he was Jewish. The orchestra was based in block 12, close to the end of the road into the camp, just a few meters from crematorium one, and with an unobstructed view of the ramp, we could see everything, the arrival ceremonies, the selections, the columns of people walking towards the gas chamber to be transformed into smoke. In 1944, the transports from Hungary arrived and the gas chambers could no longer cope. Danuta Czech describes in her remarkable book, Auschwitz Chronicle, 1939 to 1945, the camp commandant has ordered five pits to be dug for the burning of corpses. So many transports arrived that sometimes there was no space in crematorium five for all the bodies. If there was no room in the gas chambers, people were shot instead. Many were thrown alive into the burning pits. This I have also seen with my own eyes. Even if you were not sent straight to the gas chamber, no one survived Auschwitz for long. The most you could expect was about three months. But if they needed you for some reason, you had a tiny chance of survival. I had this chance. I was needed. We played marches at the camp gate for the prisoners working at the nearby factories, like IG Farben, Buna, Krupp, etc. And we played concerts on Sundays around the camp for anyone who would have wanted to hear us. For many, hearing music being performed in this living hell was the ultimate insult. For others, perhaps, it was a chance to dream of another world, if only for just a few minutes. My sister, who had been sentenced to hard labor, arrived in Auschwitz later than I did. We managed to find each other completely by chance and against all odds. Birkenau is unbelievably big. I can hardly describe the state my sister was in, a skeleton with open wounds on her legs which simply never healed. Of course we all had typhus. There was no escaping the lies. I won't even talk about hunger. In some ways, a quiet death should have been a merciful release. Amazingly, she survived. Suddenly, we were told, line up, Jews to one side, Aryans to the other. That could only mean one thing, gas chamber. But we were mistaken. We were loaded into a cattle truck. Renate simply joined us. We were determined not to be separated again. We were traveling westward to Bergen-Belsen. Auschwitz was cleaned up. The gas chambers were dynamited, albeit not entirely successfully. Who would have believed that we would ever leave Auschwitz alive and not a smoke? Was it better in Belsen? Well, all I can say is that it was different. In Auschwitz, people were murdered in the most sophisticated way. In Belsen, people simply perished. 
we existed surrounded by rotting corpses and waited for it all to end. And then on the 15th of April 1945, the British army arrived and we were liberated. I was 19 years old. I often talk about my experiences to young people in schools, and not only to young people. One of the best questions is always, what happened next? Did you go home? No, home no longer existed. We were that new species, displaced persons, with all the problems that that entails. What was to be done with all these people? I don't need to spell out the answer. In 2000, the international conference was held in Stockholm and a decision was made to make the 27th of January the official Holocaust Memorial Day and provide mandatory Holocaust education in schools. The mood was one of great hope for a better future. It is now more than 70 years since the Holocaust and the perpetrator's generation is no longer alive. We cannot really take it amiss if today's young people refuse to identify with these crimes. But to deny that this is part of German history as well, that must not happen. More to the point, cannot happen. And as for talk of drawing a line, what are we meant to draw a line under? What happened, happened. And it cannot be expunged by drawing a line. And it is not about feelings of guilt. It is about making certain that it can never, ever, ever happen again here. The eminent historian Professor Yehuda Bauer said in his address to the Bundestag that people seldom learn from history and that the Holocaust is no exception. But the Holocaust introduced a new dimension that had never been seen before. Industrial mass murder. Human beings were quite literally recycled. After the cataclysm that was the Holocaust, Germany's conduct was exemplary. There was no denial, anti-Semitism was no longer in vogue. Now times have changed and today's world is a world of refugees. For us, all those years ago, the borders were hermetically sealed, whereas now they have been opened thanks to an incredibly generous and courageous humanitarian gesture made here. Today, we remember the millions of innocent victims, but we should also remember the courageous helpers. There were some, not enough, but there were some people who put their own lives at risk by helping others. We should not forget that either. Anti-Semitism is a virus which is over 2,000 years old and apparently incurable. It mutates to take on new forms. Religion, race, only today one does not necessarily say Jews. Today it is the Israelis. 
without really understanding the context or knowing what is going on behind the scenes. Jews are criticized for not having defended themselves, which simply confirms how impossible it is to imagine what it was like in those days. And then Jews are criticized for defending themselves. It is scandalous that Jewish schools, even Jewish kindergartens, have to be guarded by the police. We should really ask why. There are no excuses and no explanations for what happened all those years ago. All that remains is hope. Hope that ultimately, one day, reason will prevail. I have been invited to come to Germany many times over the years and have had very positive contact with young people. On my last visit, I had a less positive experience. I was in Bavaria. Two truly admirable history teachers, both women, had organized a reading tour to schools in Traunstein with great enthusiasm and no official funding at all. The plan was for two very different eyewitnesses to speak. One was Niklas Frank, son of Hans Frank, Governor-General of Occupied Poland and also known as Jew Butcher, and myself. We met in the restaurant of my hotel and talked about the forthcoming event. A man nearby had obviously been listening and eavesdropping and was absolutely furious. He came over to our table and complained bitterly that we are spoiling this pleasant atmosphere here with all this talk about Auschwitz, and so on. Something like that may not have been possible five years ago, maybe, so be careful. Sometimes I think that the orchestra in Auschwitz was a kind of microcosm, a society in miniature that we could learn something from. All the nationalities were represented there. It was a Tower of Babel. Who can I talk to? Only two people who speak German or French. I can't speak Russian or Polish, so I won't talk to them. So instead, we eye each other mistrustfully and automatically assume that the other person is hostile. We don't think to even to ask why the other person ended up in Auschwitz at all. Many years after these events, I'm in close contact with one of these other prisoners, a Polish lady, a pure Aryan who played the violin in the orchestra. We never spoke to each other at the time. Thanks to an incredibly bad book about the women's orchestra, we came into contact again and met up in Krakow. We still have problems finding a common language, but we talk to each other and write to each other in English. In short, we have become friends and have found that we have far more in common than what divides us. Perhaps this can serve as an example for today's problems. Talk to each other, build bridges. 
And as for the resurgence of anti-Semitism, ask yourself, who are these Jews? Why do we come across them everywhere? Is it perhaps because they were driven out of their homeland 2,000 years ago and dispersed all over the world and have been searching ever since for a place where they hoped to live in peace and not to be murdered? Jews does not work as a collective term. Jews are just people. People with a very unusual history, that's true. Always scapegoats, persecuted, murdered, defamed. What is positive is that on the 18th of this month in this house, unanimously adopted a resolution stating that anti-Semitism must be combated resolutely. We can only hope that you win this fight. The future lies in your hands. Eight years ago, Shimon Peretz, the then president of the State of Israel, gave an address to the house in which he said this. While my heart is breaking at the memory of the atrocious past, my eyes envision a common future for a world that is young, a world free of all hatred, a world in which the words war and anti-Semitism will be dead words. Utopia. There were endless difficulties to overcome before we could leave Germany. It took almost a year. And I swore that I would never, ever set foot on German soil again. I was consumed by a boundless hatred of anything German. As you see, I broke my oath many, many years ago, and I have no regrets. It is quite simple. Hate is a poison, and ultimately, you poison yourself. I shall take my leave now and thank you for this invitation and appreciation of the dignity and openness which it you mark this day of remembrance every year. Thank you. <laughs>